Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad that you've tuned in to listen. I hope that you'll listen to this podcast all the way through. We're going to be talking about the process involved in repentance where a person ought to feel shame uh, for their transgressions. Uh, we're going to take a statement that was made by Ezra that we'll get to uh, here just in a little bit where our, our lesson title is come from. Uh, I want you to think about something that's happened in the world that we live in. First, the world uh, at, at large has pretty much accepted um, a mentality of failure. People aren't expected to succeed very often in life, and it just keeps getting worse and worse as generation after generation uh, comes through. There's even in the world of religion, there's the glorification of sin. Uh, I, I personally have known men that have called themselves preachers of the gospel, and when they talked about their sinful past, they did it in a way where they looked back and 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 thought to some degree that that you know those were the good old days, uh, so forth, so on. There's other religious beliefs where total depravity is taught. The idea that man has a sinful nature and the expectation is that you're evil, that you're corrupt from within, and you can't help but do bad things. And then other religions, in fact, the majority of, of uh, the religious world uh, thinks that perfection is unattainable, that uh, failure is there. And, and while they may not come out and say that you're totally depraved like some religious errorist uh, will, they basically teach the same thing. You know, preachers will get up and say, well, we, we all sin. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody's going to sin. Uh, some, some will go as far as say they sin daily. I, I don't know how that has become the accepted norm. The command is be therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is heaven, is perfect. Matthew 5, 48, to be holy as he's holy. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. And many other such like scriptures that are there. Well, what this has led to is people just don't feel ashamed. When they talk about their sins, they talk about it like, hey, no big deal. Um, it, it, is as, it is what it is, you know. Uh, maybe there are still sins that people maybe think of as worse than others. Uh, in general, when I'm having Bible studies along these lines with people and they seem to downplay sin, I ask them about child molestation. Well, what about child molestation? Oh, no, that's disgusting. That's disgusting. But other forms of fornication aren't as disgusting. Well, th there's not a, a difference in the scriptures. The Lord doesn't differentiate between things like this is somehow more or less acceptable to him than others. You offend at one point, you're guilty of all. James 2 and verse 10. That's, that's the vision of our Lord uh, in regards to sin. So we want to talk about being ashamed and blush, what it leads to. And again, I ask you to listen all the way through because we're going to talk for a while about how we ought to be ashamed. But, but then we're going to get to the point where shame doesn't have to be part of your present thinking uh, as well. So I want you to listen all the way through. don't want you to just take the negative and not see the, the concluding points that, that are positive. I want to talk about this because people don't tend to repent very often now. Uh, meaning they don't turn away from sin because they don't 
get the process. Well, part of the process of turning away sin is, is to be ashamed, to feel shame for what you have done. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel's having a, a vision starting in Ezekiel chapter 40 about the restructure of the temple, reconstruction of the temple. In fact, when we get to uh, talking about Ezra here a little bit later, Ezra's in the days where the, the children of Israel are coming out of Babylonian captivity and uh, the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, the priest, uh, and all those come to Jerusalem and they're expected to rebuild the temples. So what Ezekiel is envisioning is where we're going to come to in the book of Ezra. Having said all of that, in that context of, of Ezekiel's vision of the temple, in Ezekiel 43 and verse 10, the text says, Thou son of man, show the house to the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern. The idea, they're ashamed. God says, I want them to be ashamed. Even after a person is converted, looking back on, on sinful things of the past, shouldn't be looking back at the glory days. There should be a sense of, of shame there. In Romans 6, 21 and 22, what fruit had you in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now being made free from sin, become servants of God, you have your fruit and holiness, and the end, everlasting life. So looking back should be sin. I, I, I'm ashamed of those sins. I, I don't take glory in them. I don't pleasure in them. When true conversion takes place, when a person really comes to themselves and says, I've sinned against my father and I want to be restored, that there ought to be a sense of humility and shame brings about that sense of humility. And the parable that is often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son, in Luke chapter 15, beginning of verse 11, he said, a certain man had two sons, Jesus teaching, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and divided them his living. And not many days after, the young son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there was wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there rose a mighty famine in the land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain has filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's house have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Look at that process of thought. It goes from, give me, give me all that's mine, and I, I'm going to leave my father's house, kind of like somebody saying, I'm going to leave the kingdom of, uh, of my Lord, and I'm going to go out in the world, I'm going to join myself to the world. And then when times get tough, this, this man comes to himself, and he's humbled. He wants to go back to his father's house and be treated as one of the servants. He doesn't feel worthy because of sin. Now, of course, if you continue to read through that parable, the father receives him back as a son, and restoration takes place. But look at what led to that. It wasn't, you know what, 
now that I've gone out in the world and found that it's not everything that I thought it cracked up to be, I'm going to go home and demand my place. No, no, no. You see, some people approach the process of repentance as though I'm going to confess my sins and it's God's responsibility to me to forgive me. Humility doesn't come from forth there. Shame doesn't happen. Blushing doesn't occur. Because when sin is downplayed, when sin is ignored, when sin is excused, there's no place for shame in that type of a person. We see this in the scriptures. In Jeremiah chapter 6, 13 through 15, Jeremiah uh, days says, For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall, and at that time I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. They weren't ashamed. In Jeremiah 8, 11 through 13, the false prophets are at work here, says, For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall in the time of the visitation of the cast down, saith the Lord. I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. There should be no grapes on the vine, no figs on the fig tree. The leaf shall fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. So you see, Jeremiah is repetitive here. Why? Because the problem doesn't go away. People thought sin is okay. Why? Because the false prophets, much like our day and the false teachers of our day, they downplay sin. They even glorify sin so that people don't feel shame. They don't think about it in a shameful manner. And when a faithful preacher of the gospel comes and tells them, you need to repent, turn away from your transgressions, and you need to humble yourself, they look at that as like, well, you know what? Repentance is just merely, you know, a formality. I, I, okay, I'll change. And confession is more like, yeah, God, you know what? Yeah, I messed up again today. Hey, forgive me till tomorrow when I mess up again tomorrow and blah, 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 blah. That, that's not the way sin and, and the life of a child of God ought to be viewed. Well, when people can't blush, that's what's to be expected. When people can't blush, they might even boast about their transgressions. In Psalm 52, 1 through 5, why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue deviseth mischief like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. Look at that language. Don't boast in your mischief. God's not going to put up with that. Well, boasting then results in people redefining sin. They'll call evil good. In Isaiah 5, 20, what's, well, how's the Lord view that? Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, that put as darkness for light, light for darkness, that put as bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. And Malachi 2.17, that ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? 
when you say everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delighteth them, or where is the God of judgment? God doesn't view those that call evil good in a good manner. And it, he gets tired of hearing people and their excuses and their redefinition of terms, especially when they act like that's God's viewpoint. That's not God's viewpoint. From the beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve transgressed, God cast them forth out of the paradise that was the Garden of Eden. That's not a God who says, oh, okay, no big deal. That's a God who doesn't want his children to transgress. But what has happened with humanity, and it's not a new problem, is that people want to justify themselves, not through Christ, but of their own excuses, their own ways, and their own thinking. Jesus in Luke 16, 15, he said to them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. So people will make their excuses. They'll make their arguments. They'll, they'll act and downplay sin, but that doesn't make it right with God. Man may accept those things. Man may step back and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like you. I sin daily too, or I sin from time to time too. But that doesn't lead to repentance. There's a right way you ought to be when it comes to sin. In Ezra chapter 9, specifically our lesson comes from verse 6. But I want to read all of Ezra chapter 9 and chapter 10 and verse 1. So I'm beginning Ezra 9 and verse 1. It says, Now when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations. Even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. Now, I want to stop here for a second. They had just spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity because of their transgressions. And, and, and what, you're, what we're seeing in Ezra 9, 1 and 2, God tried to deal with this when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and was sending them forth into the land of Canaan. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 through 11, they're supposed to go in and clear the land of all the inhabitants. And they were supposed to be isolated from all the heathen nations so that the things that we're reading about much later here in the history of Israel, in the book of Ezra, should have never taken place to begin with. But Israel never obeyed the instructions of God, and continually you find these transgressions. So back to this text, pick up in Ezra 9 and verse 3. Ezra says, When I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astonished. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. Now, folks, we don't see this today when sin happens among God's people. 
It just doesn't happen. People tend to just be able to move on as though all things are good and nothing is wrong. In verse 5, it says, At the evening sacrifice, I rose from my heaviness, and having rent my garment my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands on the Lord my God and said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. What Ezra is doing right here, what, what you're hearing, that's part of the process of repentance. That's when you recognize the magnitude of your transgressions. That's when you recognize, and we'll talk more about this in this podcast, what your transgressions do to God. This is what leads to true change. The reason sin continues to abound is because most people don't do this. They just do a quick confession, like, God, forgive me my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. And they move on. Like, nothing ever happened. They don't sorrow. They don't take time to consider their transgressions. And they certainly don't act as though they're ashamed. And they don't blush before God. It makes me wonder how many people truly believe that when they're in prayer to the Father in general, but to the application of this lesson in confession of sin, if they think about who they're talking to, you're talking to the Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, the one in whom you are naked before at all times, who sees inside you. Hebrews 4 and verse 13. Do people think that way? Or is it just the formalities? Is it just punching the card like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say this and then move on? Is it because teaching is lacking? Or is it because understanding is lacking? Or is there a combination of both? I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm going to stop here for a minute. We're, 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 we'll pick up here in Ezra 9 and verse 7 momentarily. 28 years ago, I committed a transgression, brought shame upon my Lord, upon my brethren. And I needed to confess that transgression. And not only before God, but before man, James 5, 16, needed their help in being restored. And we'll talk about that. Uh, just a, a little bit more later in this lesson. Uh, and I went to the quote-unquote preacher that was working with the congregation. It was something I needed to do immediately but it was put off. And I allowed it to be put off. And I'm ashamed of this to this day. But it was decided, and not by me who needed to do the confessing, that I should do it at a time where there was less people in the assembly. When my stepmother 
wouldn't have to face the shame of my sins. And it was essentially a show. It was, it was wrong. And the shame and the guilt that I felt, it began to dissipate because it became more about a presentation to the congregation than to a genuine public confession. So as I think back on that, boy, it's, it's still very much present in my mind. But when I think back on that, the show that my confession became, there's nothing like what I see in Ezra. Nothing. Nothing like it. Folks, could it be that you have been taught like I was way back then? That it's just a formality? And I'm not saying that all sin needs to be confessed before men. They don't. My transgression was fornication. And it needed to come out. And it needed to be done in a manner in which it was not. Oh. I, I, I wasn't taught the right way. And I didn't understand the right way to go about it. And even in this moment, as, as I'm reading the scriptures, and my heart is pricked, I still feel the shame of a sin that's over 28 years old. And I wonder how many other people are just taught, let it go, like it doesn't matter. Well, I know I am forgiven, not because of my confession 28 years ago, but because of things that I've done since. But the shame wasn't there then like it should have been. Come back to Ezra 9 and verse 7. Ezra is talking. He's ashamed. He blushes to lift up his face to God. And in verse 7, says, Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day. Look, look back. He wasn't even alive. He wasn't even alive. He's, he's talking. He's going way back. And he says, And for our iniquities have we. Our kings and our priests have been delivered in the hands of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, to a spoil, and to confusion of face as it is this day. And now for a little space, grace hath been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy and unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments. Uh, 
which thou hast commanded by thy servants the prophets, saying, The land under which ye go to possess it, it is unclean land, with the filthiness of this people of the lands, with their abominations, which have been filled from one end to another, with their uncleanliness. Now therefore give not your daughters under their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, see that thou art, that thou our God hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve and hast given us such deliverance as this. Should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of the abominations? Wouldest not thou be angry with us Till thou hast consumed us, so that there should be no remnant nor escaping. O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous. For we remain yet escaped as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespasses. For we cannot stand before thee because of this. Chapter 10 and verse 1. Now when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping and casting him down, casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. Folks, this is the right way to be when you are found in sin. What you read in Ezra, that's the right way to be. Not to pass it off as though it's a normal, excusable occurrence, when you think about what Ezra said, you know, he's looking back on the punishments that Israel had faced in, in their history. He said, we deserve more. <laughs> he recognized the grace of God. And they, these are before the days of Jesus. You know, sometimes people think grace is only a, a New Testament subject matter. Well, that's false. Grace, you know... The, Recollection serves me correct. The first time we read about grace is in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8 where Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Well, here Ezra recognized the grace of God, recognized that he had an opportunity to come before God because of that grace. It's powerful. But he didn't think that he could take advantage of it. Didn't think like Romans 6, 1 and 2, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How that we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. Before those words were ever written, you can see that Ezra had that understanding. The sorrow, the shame, that has to be there for the process of repentance to really take place. And you know, with Ezra, it was because his heart was in the right place. And Ezra 7.10 says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. I mean, your heart's got to be in the right place. When your heart's in the right place, and when you take what, what we read in Ezra 9, 1 through 10, 1, and think about sorrow. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Godly sorrow. When you look back and you think of the shame of what you've done to your heavenly father. And Genesis 6, 6 said, it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. What? They, they sinned. And what did that cause? Grief for God. And Psalm 78, 40, 
How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? In Psalm 95, 10, 40 years long, I was grieved with this generation. It says people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. Cause grief for God. In Isaiah 63, 10, they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy and fought against them. You can vex God. You can grieve God. You can cause him to be sorrowful. It doesn't pleasure him when man transgresses. And Ezekiel 33, 11, saying to them, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from me, evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Look at, it, look at what it does to God. Look at Jesus. You know, we talk about our Father. Let's talk about our, our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Luke 19, 41 and 42, he comes near to Jerusalem. He beheld the city. He wept over it, saying, If thou had known, even thou, at least in this day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thy eyes. He wept over the city, knowing that it was going to be destroyed because of their transgressions. Hebrews 6, 6, when it's talking about people who have come to the knowledge of the truth and their spiritual gifts, even contextually, it says that they shall fall away, then renew them again, and then repentance, seeing they crucify themselves, the Son of God, afresh and put into an open shame. When you sin, when you know right and you do wrong, it's like you've crucified Jesus all over again. Like you're putting him to an open shame. In Hebrews 10, 29, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy, worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and counted the blood of the covenant which was sanctified an unholy thing and had done despite under the Spirit of grace. It was like walking over Jesus and despising the Holy Spirit. Consider what happens to our brethren, people in Christ Jesus that genuinely love us. In 2 Corinthians 2, 3, and 4, Paul says, I wrote this same unto you, lest when I come I should have sorrow from them whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly to you. Grief, for, we grieve our brethren. Those that, that would genuinely try to teach us have affliction and anguish of heart. I know when I've had to address erring brethren as an evangelist, it kills me to do it. It hurts. It's sad. It, it's nerve-wracking. It's all kinds of emotions because, you know, if, when you're trying to teach somebody out of sin that they're lost, they're lost, and you know that they might rebel against the Word of God. You know that they might hate you for correcting them, but you know most importantly that they're lost and that if Jesus was to come right now, they'd spend all eternity in hell for that. So all these emotions go through you as you're trying to get this person to turn away from sin. Consider that if you err, you hurt God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You hurt your brethren. There's a lot to be ashamed of in those things. That shame and that sorrow, that's to work together to bring about humble submission. And James 4, 6 through 10, 
says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I want to come back to that point later. He shall lift you up. I don't mean that you should have a continual sorrow for your sins. But until you've gone through the process of repentance, you should definitely be ashamed and blush and be sorrowful and wanting to make it right. Especially if you want to restore your relationship with God. Think about this language. Isaiah 57, 15. Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And Isaiah 66 too, for all those things hath my hand made and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look even in him that is of a poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. If I'm coming to God in transgression and I want forgiveness, I need to come to him with contrition. The psalmist said, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such to be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 34 and verse 18. That's what I need to be. I need to be Ezra. Man, I... You know, before I did this podcast, I, I, I know I'm going to read Ezra chapter 9, verse 1 through 10, 1, and, and I read it, and it hits me real hard then. And then I, I prepare my mind, I come into this podcast, and I'm reading Ezra 9, 1 and 10, 1, and it hits me hard again. The Word of God ought to prick you. I, I mean, I've confessed and repented and have done all that I can in many, many years to make my wrongs right. And still, as I read these scriptures, it's pricking my heart. What about you? When you initially come to God, and, and, and I, I want to change the tone in, uh, of this lesson just a little bit. Because after you're ashamed and you blush, after you confess and you truly repent, you go through that process. Whether it's initially, you know, when, when people initially obey the gospel, the language of Acts 3.19, repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. You can know when you initially obey the gospel that in the judgment day, salvation awaits you. And, and then if you transgress, if you err from the faith, after you've initially obeyed the gospel, all is not lost. We are promised in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, contextually, as long as we don't act like we've never done anything wrong, you know, in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth not in us. So don't, if you're a sinner and you've done something wrong, don't act like you haven't. Rather, in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgives our sins and cleanses from all unrighteousness. Why is that? Because in 1 John 2, 1, my little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if 
any man's sin, not when, if. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the, the righteous. You, 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 after you obey the gospel, if you are to err, like I did 28 years ago, and I'm not saying I hadn't since, uh, you can be restored. You can, I talked about earlier, you look to your brethren for help. You know, you, one of the reasons you might um, confess something publicly, you might need help. Brethren are part of the process of restoration at times. In Galatians 6, 1, says, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such one the spirit of meekness concerning thyself, lest I also be tempted. And James 5, 19 and 20, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So whether it's when you initially obey the gospel or at a time when you have to be restored back to the faith, the sorrow, the shame, the blushing, it doesn't need to be continual. It doesn't need to be continual. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 through 13, says, From whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection of the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us, after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble needs, knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. After correction, there's the healing process. Uh, I've written a series of studies on the book of Hebrews. If you go to my website, uh, you, you can find it. Um, I always forget the language of my own website. But if, if you were to go to wordsoftruth.net and click on the little list-looking image, uh, and, and then you were to click on Bible study materials, New Testament studies, and then you were to go to studies in the book of Hebrews, Go, go and click on chapter 12 and, and read through and study some of the things that, that are there uh, regarding Hebrews 12, 6 through 13. A lot of good uh, information studies there that I'm, I'm not getting into in this podcast. But the point is, there's a time of healing. You know, again, it's not that you won't be pricked in your heart. And when you look back on your past, you're going to realize, like we, we talked about at the opening of this podcast, Romans 6, 21 and 22, that you're ashamed of those sinful things. But I'm not saying, and neither is the Scripture saying, that you need to carry that guilt with you all of the time. You can recognize that you're forgiven. Even, even when you look in the Old Testament and God judged Israel in their sinful state, it was His goal that they be rebuilt. In Jeremiah 31, 28, it shall come to pass that like as I've watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, to destroy, and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build, to plant, saith the Lord. Correction 
is about tearing down than rebuilding. And we have brethren there for our support in First Thessalonians 5, 11 through 14. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you also do. Beseech you, brethren, know them which labor among you and over you in the Lord, admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sakes, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all. When you look at that, we have, we have our Lord's word for comfort, Romans 15, 4, and our brethren for comfort, as we just read. Mercy is on the other side of genuine confession and repentance. And Proverbs 28, 13 <clears throat> says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. We can look forward to that merciful side. And I, I want to bring that up. And I, wa I didn't want to end this podcast before we talked about that. Because sorrow that is continual because of transgression, it, it can hurt you. And 2 Corinthians 2, 7, where it's talking about the sinner in Corinth, he says, so that you contrawise ought to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such one be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So, you know, at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about people that glorified sin, that taught depravity, that glory and this idea that we're less than perfect and perfection is unattainable. They brag about their sins. We talked about all that. Now, on the other hand, there are those that never feel forgiven. Now, that's not the right way. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins, 1 John 2 and verse 2. You can know that you are forgiven. And this promise was made in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. But I, I, I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 8 where that promise is uh, spoken of as in the present um, where God says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Hebrews 8 verse 12, I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. That's under the new covenant. And we are under the new covenant. When you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you become a child of God, and, and there's much to that process, uh, uh, but one of the things that we can know in Christ, and if you're sitting there wondering about that process, get a hold of me so we can study it. Uh, but in Christ, Revelation 1 and verse 5, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins and his own blood. Now, John, the book of Revelation is written to the seven congregations in Asia, Revelation 1 and verse 4. So when he's talking about us here, he's talking about himself and Christians people who had obeyed the gospel of Christ, people that have come out of the world into the marvelous light, washed away sins. When we go through the process of repentance and conversion, again, whether that's initially to be in Christ or after we're in Christ, we, if we apostatize, if we fall away and we need to be restored, one way or the other, the blood of Christ, that atoning blood that was shed on the cross washes away those sins so that God forgets them. Now, we might not forget them, and to a degree that's good that we don't because it's fuel to us 
not to turn back and do them again. Like we read in Ezra 9, 1 through 10, 1, you know, Ezra was very much aware of not only of what he had participated in, but what his fathers, what the children of Israel had done in the past and kept that forefront of his mind so he didn't do it again. Paul, when he talks about himself as the least of all saints because he persecuted the church, he, he didn't let that go. Though he knew he was forgiven of those sins, that is fuel. He felt indebted, not, not to God, but to man, Romans 1, 14 and following. That was fuel in his preaching of the gospel. You don't need to walk around with your head down when you are forgiven of your sins and feeling like you are still a sinner because when you're forgiven, you're not still a sinner. You're righteous, you're holy, you're pure, you're washed. That sin is part of the past, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, not the present. We can get past those sins. But we got to get the process right. Got to get the process right. When you are initially in that sinful state, you know, another example in the Bible is Job. Job was a perfect man, Job 1, 1 and 2. But then he sins. From Job chapter 3 through Job chapter 31, he's in a discussion with uh, his friends about the things that he suffered at the hand of Satan. And he said foolish things. And from Job chapter 32 through Job chapter 41, he's being corrected by a man named Elihu and, and God himself. In Job chapter 42, verse 1 through 6, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand on thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. We go through that, that point. That's the right way, that, that self-abhorrence, that shame, that blushing. But, ladies and gentlemen, on the other side of the shore... In Acts 26, 18, Paul said, as he's talking about his work, he says to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Paul talking about what the Lord wanted him to go and do. Forgiveness of sins and an inheritance is on the other shore. Once you cross that sea of the process of repentance, forgiveness and an inheritance is awaiting you. You don't have to continue through life with the shame and blushing that you had during the process of repentance. And again, not, not to discount everything that we talked about, but to know that glory awaits us, that true forgiveness is there. Things that man doesn't do for you. You know, we, we live in this cancer, cancer culture. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. Cancel culture where somebody says or does something and, and immediately the world wants to remove them from, from everything. Well, our God will remove us, but he'll accept us back. And as quickly as you walk away, you can come home. That's the beauty. Yes, Shame and blush has to be part of the process. 
Repentance doesn't work. It doesn't even happen. It doesn't even begin if you don't feel those things. Think on your life. Let these scriptures resonate in your mind. Maybe re-listen to the podcast, or, or at the very least, go, go back and read Ezra chapter 9. Think about the process of, of repentance. If you have questions, if, you, if you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, if, you, if, you're, if you have and you've erred, what, whatever it may be, maybe you have questions unrelated to this podcast, j- just anything about God, anything about the scriptures, I'd love to help you. Call me up, 915-525-5794. Email me, brian at wordsoftruth.net. Or you can visit my website, www.wordsoftruth.net. A lot of free material. I don't charge for anything I do. Um, and, and all the material is free. All my services um, are supported by faithful brethren, so you do not need to pay for anything. Um, I know that sometimes people are almost awaiting for, well, what's it going to cost me? Just your time and attention. Let me help you with the scriptures. I hope this lesson has penetrated your heart, even if you're not in sin, uh, like, like it has in every time I read scriptures like these, for me, even when I have nothing to confess to the Father and, and I am forgiven, still makes me look back on life, think about how dumb I have been in my sinful past. And boy, that is fuel to go forward in righteousness to eternity. Hope it's been beneficial to you. Um, Next podcast will be on Sunday if all goes according to plan. Thank you for listening.